Hey everyone, welcome to the Warren Letter Podcast, a weekly financial podcast that discusses macroeconomics, cryptocurrencies, trading, philosophy, and geopolitics. Um, you know, I discuss pretty much whatever is interesting to me during that week, whatever I'm focused on, but today we're going to focus on the markets. Um, this seems to be the story that's on everyone's mind and what is going on with the markets. Where do we go from here? How did we get here? I'm going to cover all that. Um, but first, if you don't know much about me and you, you want a little introduction, go to my newsletter website, which is the warrenletter.substack.com. In there, they have, you know, I have a bio of myself, all kinds of articles, kind of, you can get a, a feel for my trading philosophy and my ideas. Um, otherwise, you can follow me on Twitter at retirementright. I tweet pretty often throughout the trading day, so you can see where my head's at. Um, so let's just discuss markets kind of weekend review, and then we'll go towards some theories, some ideas that I have and um, where I see this market going. And it may be surprising to a lot of people. So I just want to put that out there where I think this market's going may surprise a lot of people. So the S&P 500, which is made up of the 500 biggest companies, the company, you know, the S&P is what everyone follows. Basically, when they say the market, they say the S&P. The S&P had a pretty volatile week, but actually, well, you know, it's, it felt like it was really volatile. It felt like it was awful. But when you go and look at it and you measure it for the week, um, I'm using here the, uh, uh, the TradingView app. And we start, it looks like we started the week just at 4.05 and the week ended at 4.01. I mean, it's really, it's down about 2%, a little off of 2%, 1.19%. I mean, that's really uh really nothing so um it's very 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 slight down day or down week not too bad um today was actually a ripper you know it felt like we kind of went down all week and we ripped uh s&p ripped up 2.3 percent to 4023 uh nasdaq went up 3.82 percent to 11,805 and the the looks like the dow which really the dow hasn't been affected um, as much by this correction as other indices. And I'll kind of get to my explanation of to why that is, but really it's about interest rates. Uh, the Dow is up one and a half percent. So the, 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 the big factor, the one that everybody looks at is the yield on the 10 year treasury. Um, this was up slightly today, but down overall in the week. And that was a big, that played a big factor in why we ramped today, right? Because, uh, lower yields are going to equal these or higher yields are going to bring down tech companies. Lower yields are going to help them. And the reason being is a lot of these tech companies, these high growth companies have, um, you know, their growth models are basically debt. Their growth models require that they can just receive uh, more and more private money um, and any kind of interest rate increase slows their growth model and create, you know, creates the, you know, the reason why these companies are falling is because, any kind of raise in interest rates makes it more difficult for them to bring in more borrowing and more cash. So um, the growth models all shift uh, at extre in extreme ways when the interest rate shot up from, I mean, it was 0.46% during the midst of the pandemic, and it got up to almost 3.2%. Actually, I think it did breach 3.2%. So that's a big change in interest rates. So that's going to have a huge factor when you talk about valuing these companies. But the 10-year, the 10-year looked like right here, uh, it peaked 
on May 11th for this week at 3.075. It ended the week at 2.934. And so I'm going to measure the rate of change here just so you can kind of see how much the 10-year yield went down. The 10-year yield look for the week looks like it went down about 4.7%. That's pretty big. I mean, I don't know if anyone, you know, if anyone listening to this has been uh, trading for, for a long time, but historically to have bond yields move like this is really unprecedented. I mean, the, the amount of, you know, how high bond yields have gone in the last six to 12 months uh, compared to historic precedent is, is really, really, really uh, unusual. Um, bond yields are normally pretty steady. They drift slowly up or down. Um, to have the bond, the ten-year Treasury yield moving like a meme stock is is uh, is really unprecedented. So, um, you know, if you're witnessing kind of a historic moment in in markets, and this kind of leads me into this theory that I've been thinking about all day. Um, a lot of people have been passing this idea back and forth. A lot of people have been making fun of this idea, but there is a uh, a guy I follow on Twitter. His Twitter handle is David H. Contrarian. Uh, his real name is David Hunter. And this guy has been around uh, markets for a really long time. He's like a 40-year Wall Street veteran. He's had all kinds of calls, some good calls, some bad calls. Um, but his call and his theory is that we are headed for a an extreme market melt-up. Um, he put out a target price range on the S&P of 6,000, um, which would be a, basically a 50% move from here, 50% up move. And he thinks that that can happen in three to six months. Um, this would be, you know, an almost unprecedented face-ripping bull run. Um, or I, I can't even call it a bull run. It would be a melt-up. Um, it would basically be moving in increments of, you know, three to five percent per day, all the way into S and P six thousand, and then he says after S and P six thousand, the economy is going to be in in such terrible shape, um, and interest rates are going to be so low. There's going to be nowhere else for them to lower it, and basically the economy is going to crash, and we're going to have an eighty percent market correction. Now I don't know how much of this he's he's saying um, for controversy for hype. I mean, a lot of, um, you know, a lot of pundits do do that. They'll say they'll make crazy forecasts and it'll get a lot of attention. And that's what's happening here. He's getting a lot of attention for this um, from this crazy call of a 50 percent melt up from here. Um, so I kind of wanted to explore, explore his ideas and see if there's any if there's any merit to it. So I watched a few of his interviews. I read his articles. And here's just a general summary of his idea, why he thinks the S&P is going to melt up. So what he thinks is that <clears throat> the econ paradoxically the economy is already in recession, that the Fed um, will not have to tighten as much as he thinks as people think or the markets are forecasting they will have to tighten to bring down inflation. He thinks inflation's already peaked. He thinks that we're like I said already in a recession, and that growth is going to slow down precipitously. And so you, when you hear that, you think, okay, well, how is that good for markets? Well, um, you know, a slowing economy paradoxically can be good for markets because when there's a slowing economy, the Fed might have to lower rates or even not raise rates as much or as fast as they wanted to, 
which is going to be good for the equity market. Um, you know, and there's going to be that last initial pop. He also thinks that the bond market did a lot of the Fed's heavy lifting for it, meaning that bonds uh, increased so fast. You know, the yield, the yields on the 10 year, 10 year, uh, 20 and 30 year treasury increased so fast and the price of the bonds went down that this basically did the heavy lifting for the Fed, meaning that the Fed has less to do in order to, to uh, slow down um, the economy. And so, I mean, the bond, you know, the 10 year yield, like I said, was 0.46% at the lowest, the bottom of the pandemic. And now we're at uh, 2.93. I mean, that's a big move in yields. I mean, he may have a valid point there that Powell, Jay Powell, the uh, chairman of the Federal Reserve, instead of actually doing it himself, he talked the bond market into doing an extreme tightening on its own. And this extreme tightening in, in the bond market may be enough to slow down inflation to the point where the Fed doesn't have to raise rates as much as they predict or much as the market predicts. And we could end up being in a situation where the Fed uh, either does an about face or even just puts the brakes on and says, hey, look, inflation is starting to come down. We don't want to push the economy into a recession. Let's uh, let's just kind of wait and see what happens here. And. So that's basically his theory that the bond market did the heavy lifting for the Fed, um, that there's going to be this giant melt up because once the Fed basically pivots or, or at least stops with the path that they're on and the markets are just going to rip into one final, uh, you know, orgastic melt up basically. And it's going to be just the face ripper of all face rippers. And then it's going to lead to a giant crash. Um, so what are my thoughts on this. Um, you know, when I first heard him saying this and I saw the market just falling every single day, uh, you know, I'm just a natural bear. That's just really, you know, I know that about myself. I know that that's my natural position, but the thing is natural bear, bear you know, if you have a, a bearish bias, it tends to affect your ability to make money. So I often fight against that. Um, but as a bear, you know, a, a, I have a bearish bias and seeing the market fall, Every day, you know, two and a half, three percent, and then seeing a, a melt up call for six SPX six thousand, um, you know, just didn't really didn't really jive with me. I thought he was just saying crazy stuff. But watching today, the extreme melt up that we had, or the or the uh, you know the big update we had in, in the QQQs in the S and P, um, and then seeing kind of the mentality switch. Um, on shows like CNBC, Fox Business, of kind of okay, is this the bottom kind of thing? Um, made me made me question my own belief, right? Um, he, you know, David David Hunter may have a point here. Um, the bond the bond market really did do a lot to put a slowing on the economy. You know, people who know me know I work in real estate. I work in large uh, ranches and recreational properties out here in New Mexico. And I can already feel uh, the difference in buyer demand, the difference in, in, in uh, price, you know, price negotiations and all those kind of things and the ability for buyers to get loans. I mean, the mortgage, because of the bond market, the mortgage rates have gone up from 2.7% to I think today it was 
I mean, that is a huge jump in mortgage rates. That's going to lower the, uh, you know, the any kind of refinancing part of the economy. That's going to lower demand for housing. That's going to create houses to have the, uh, you know, a much slower um, path to selling. I mean, before we'd get homes, you know, you put a home or a ranch on the market and you'd have, you know, 10 cash buyers all over asking price, you know, foaming at the mouth to try and buy your, your property. But with interest rates that has gone up this high, I mean, that's going to really put a break on this. So um, in that sense, he does have a point. Um, however, the 10-year yield can always go higher, right? His, his, his whole hope or his whole theory is that 3.2% was the highest the 10-year yield is going to go, and we're going to come down from there. But I mean, who, you know, who knows? We, have, we've, we hit 3.2 and we came off of it. But that doesn't mean we can't go to three, five, to four, to five. I mean, we're still even even though we've had such a historic run up in yields, we're still at historically low interest rates. So there there is always the possibility that we we run even higher, which will bring down growth stocks, technology stocks, and the overall market even more. Um, so so you know if it. Basically, what I'm saying is if he if he's right in the fact that interest rates have peaked, he may have a valid point. He may be onto something. And it is a he does call himself a contrarian. It is a contrarian call. Um, yesterday probably was the bearish I've seen CNBC um, ever since probably watching clips of the 2008 uh, financial crisis. CNBC essentially threw in the towel yesterday. And then once we had a big rally today, they're. Um, they were all super excited again, talking about buying, holding for the long term, et cetera. So um, if, if you take a contrarian view in markets, which I used to think was the best way to operate, I, I always had this um, idea that if I'm with the crowd, then I'm probably in the wrong, the wrong investment. But I've learned through experience that sometimes or oftentimes even the crowd is correct. Um, because the crowd is what pushes up stocks, right? If the crowd is all excited and bold up and you can feel that sentiment, they're going to push stocks up and any kind of bad news is going to be ignored. Um, Jesse Livermore said in, in a bull market, uh, bad news is considered bullish and in a bear market, bad news is considered bearish. So it really depends just kind of on the psychology, uh, of investors and how they're feeling at the time, um, you know, so I, like I said, I, I I used to be contrarian, and if I saw a lot of people were bullish, I immediately say, "Oh no, I need to be bearish. The market's going to fall." And in 2020, I experienced the opposite. You know, I was up leading up to the COVID crisis. I was fairly sure that the market was going to fall. Um, I did pretty well shorting the market at that point, um, all the way down into March. Uh, however, I missed the entire upside. Um, everyone's the fed, the fed stepped in all these uh, crazy programs. The fed was, uh, you know, buying bonds of companies like Apple and Google. And I was just like, this is crazy. And I was like, COVID is going to be here with us for a long time. There's no way the stock market is going to recover like it did. Um, you know, there's just no way I just was, I didn't buy in and I missed, you know, an entire huge rally. I missed the rally from the COVID bottom all the way up to, I don't know, March uh, or April of 2021. And so trying to be a contrarian kind of hurt me at that point. I, I was I was really bearish. I was really contrarian. I was against the consensus that the Fed would be able to help. And all the market did was just go up and up and up. So 
I learned a lot from that. Um, and I know people are saying that this is a different environment that the Fed gone. Um, the entire economy, um, our entire societal fabric relies on the stock markets uh, going up to a certain degree, right? I mean, pension funds, retirement accounts, um, Congress people have their money in stocks. Um, the Fed used to have their money in stocks until you know, they were forced to sell for ethical reasons, but I'm sure they still have some sort of holdings. All their family has money in stocks. Everybody in the U.S. somehow, you know, unless you're the, the, the lower uh, socioeconomic uh, part of the U.S., has some sort of tie or money to stocks. There's no more, there's no more uh, pension plans from companies and things like that. Everything is 401k, IRA, and even pensions because pensions have, are having such a demographic problem. They are investing uh, much, much heavier in stocks than they normally would and, and taking riskier plays in order to make up for that funding loss. And so everyone, in, I mean, I heard a quote that the stock market or the S&P 500 going up is, is a national security issue. And I really think that is true and even more so today. And I think that was one of the most genius things that Wall Street ever did was get everybody into the stock market to the point where if, if the markets fall enough, the government has to step in because that's, that'll lead to a collapse of the United States essentially, right? Could you imagine – if the, uh, you know, in 2008, the S&P fell 50% and it was all anyone talked about. The Fed jumped in with TARP, or I'm sorry, the Congress jumped in with TARP. All kinds of relief bills were thrown out. Money was just printed like crazy in order to boost the markets. The same thing happened in 2020. Um, as soon as stocks started falling precipitously, they had every billionaire hedge fund manager come on CNBC and say, you need to close the markets. This is a catastrophe. We're in ruin, et cetera. And, and what happened? The Fed said, we're going to buy uh, bonds of private companies like Apple and Google. I mean, which is just beyond crazy, especially because those companies had such large amounts of cash on their balance sheet. They were just very healthy companies. And yeah, there were, you know, their stocks were going down, but the Fed did not need to step in and buy those bonds. So the Fed put is always going to be there. Even though Powell comes out and says, yeah, you know, we don't care about the markets. We're just going to fight inflation. Yeah, BS. If the markets start falling enough and fast enough, the Fed is going to step in and do something. They're either going to they're either going to talk the markets up. They're going to stop this quantitative tightening. They're going to stop uh, interest rate raises. They're they're going to have to because it really is uh, the S and P going up. Really is a national security issue. I mean, there is just no way that anyone can convince me that the Fed will um, let the markets fall 60, 70, 80% in order to bring inflation from 8% back to 2%. There's just no way. Um, maybe if infl inflation started hyperinflating up to 15, 20, 25%, but it looks like to me, um, according to the data, inflation starting to come down a little bit. Um, and gas, you know, and there's, and there's really three main factors that are, keeping inflation this high besides the fact that the Fed, you know, the, the government and the Fed have printed so much money over these last two years. I mean, I think 40% of all dollars in existence have came out in the last two years, which is obviously inflationary, but we have China lockdown issue, which basically if people don't know, I'm sure if you all do, but if you don't, 
China has a zero zero COVID policy, meaning that they want to have not one person in their entire country have COVID. And so they're an authoritarian government. So they have the ability to basically tell people what, what to do. They, they, people have no rights, no freedoms, and they've been shutting down cities where there's been COVID and essentially locking people with literal cages into their houses and apartments and not letting them leave for any reason and forcing them to take uh, daily or even multi-daily COVID tests. So all these people that would be, you know, normally working in, in factories for Apple or Google or, or Nike or whatever companies uh, have factories in China, um, those people would be there working. So that creates a big drag on supply, uh, which is in addition to the drag that COVID-19 has played over the last two years. So there's that issue, but that issue could be easily resolved. If um, I saw an article yesterday that there's a rumor that President Xi um, may step down, which I don't think is going to happen. But the fact, even the fact that that rumor came out is someone in his party trying to uh, spread some sort of dissent amongst him and amongst, the, you know, and try and get rid of this zero COVID policy because the, the videos that are coming out of China with the zero COVID policy is just absolutely crazy. Um, so that issue is an issue that if, if solved, will have an immediate effect on reducing inflation. The second issue is the, the uh, war in Ukraine and Russia. Um, the war in Ukraine and Russia is obviously causing um, issues with inflation because there's just a lack of supply. Um, Ukraine and Russia account for about 40% of the world's uh, grain imports, or, or sorry, grain exports. And so taking that piece off the market obviously increases the price of grain um, and other commodities. So if that issue gets resolved in any way, or it looks like we're getting closer to peace talks, um, that is something that's going to immediately uh, dampen inflation. And uh, the fact that interest rates have gone up so much is going to is going to weaken demand a little bit. So you have a situation where you have these three factors, COVID, the China lockdowns, the Russia-Ukraine war, all um, causing inflation to rise. And, uh, you know, if any of those, one of those, all that has to happen is one of those three has to end or change and you're going to see inflation readings come down. Um, they may not come down dramatically, but I think the market is at this point, you know, with 20% down on the S&P, about 30% down on the NASDAQ, it will look at any positive change in the inflation numbers as bullish. I mean, um, I think it was Wednesday when the inflation numbers came out, they were hotter than expected but lower than the previous month. And so um, initially futures took that as bullish and then the market sold off, but ha it hasn't seemed to matter because we ramped like crazy today, even though that inflation report was out there. And I think that's because people are suspecting um, peak inflation. And so um, if you believe peak inflation is here, I mean, or inflation has peaked and that bond yields have sufficiently slowed demand, Really, the only thing you have to look for next is the price of oil. And if the price of oil comes down, you're going to have uh, uh, you're going to have the, the overall inflation index drop dramatically. And I think it's going to be off to the races. So um, as crazy as David Hunter's theory seems to be, um, to be honest with you, it's actually it's actually has somewhat, you know, has some validity. I think that. um 
Yeah, I think that I'm I'm not in the I'm not I wouldn't say I'm in the David Hunter camp yet, the melt up camp, but I'm actually surprisingly pretty bullish here. Now, if you want to take that as a you know, a contrarian indicator and say that we're about to sell off because the bear, you know, the guy who labeled his uh Twitter feed as Black Swan is now bullish. Um, I guess that makes sense and you can do that, but I I, I really am 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 bullish here and just for the reasons I outlined, I think inflation has peaked. Um, I can see it in the real estate market. I think demand is starting to slow. I think oil is going to come down. And all I ha- all we have to do is wait for one of these three factors, uh, COVID supply chain, uh, China, or um, the Russia-Ukraine war to kind of resolve itself. And if any of those three things do, I think it's going to be off to the races here. Um, I really do. And I think, again, the Fed put always exists. So um, regardless of how many people want to say the Fed doesn't care about the markets anymore, all they care about is inflation. I think I think it's it's incorrect. I think I think the Fed put is still there. Now, has the Fed put changed? I mean, in 2018, the Fed uh, immediately changed course when the, the S and P dropped 20 percent. A lot of that was you know pressure from uh, President Trump onto Jerome Powell. I mean, he it was pretty funny. He would come out and call him weak and ineffective and pathetic and all kinds of stuff and basically just berated him into giving up on trying to raise rates, which is pretty funny. Um, but, and I don't think, I don't think Biden is going to be doing that, but I think behind the scenes, um, you know, there's this, there's this idea and the fed knows it, that the markets can't fall too far because the markets fall too far, far. That really is a national security threat to, you know, domestic harmony, um, because of everyone's retirement accounts, pension funds, et cetera, insurance, I mean, life insurance, everything, uh, uh, everything is linked to the markets. And Wall Street was very genius in that way um, by getting everyone linked to the markets or everything linked to the markets. Um, one, they collect fees from everybody, but two, they created this situation where they, they can never really let the markets fall too much because if they do, it's going to be widespread, you know, chaos and panic. And, the midterms are coming up in November, right? That's only, what, four or five months away. Do you think the Democrats are going to want to go into the midterms with a market that's down 30 40%? I, I don't think so. And I think, uh, I think if they get any kind of – or the Fed gets any kind of uh, lower levels of inflation, it's going to be off to the races. And they're going to say, look, inflation is lower. We may not have to raise as much. And I think the pattern is going to go something like this. I think we're going to get next month's inflation numbers. And if it's a little lower, which I suspect it will be because the price of used cars are coming down, uh, the price of gasoline has been down slightly. I can see it in the real estate market. So I think I think inflation will be slightly down uh, next month. And you're going to start getting these Fed speakers come out and they're going to start saying stuff like, well, it looks like inflation is peaking. Yes, we still have to fight it, but maybe we don't have to be as aggressive as we previously thought. And just that sentence alone is going to send the S&P up 10%. It's just how it's just how it works. It's just how investors are. Everyone's so bearish right now. The CNN uh, fear and greed index was at a five yesterday. And, you know, historically when it, when it's at below a 10, usually there's a five to 10% bounce. Now the question is, is this going to be a bear market rally or is this going to be a new leg in the bull market? to a certain extent. Um, I think at the very minimum, it's going to be a bear market rally, but we'll just have to wait and see. But if, if the macroeconomic factors, which is inflation, uh, potential war with Russia and this China lockdown start lowering, 
I think it's off to the races and I think we can make new highs. And as surprising as some people may think to hear me say that, um, you know, take that for what, you know, for what you think. I mean, if you want, like I said, if you want to use it as a contrarian indicator, that's fine. But my prediction is that we're going to, we're going to hit new highs um, probably before the midterms. And I think that's going to surprise a lot of people. And what's going to happen is shorts are going to start covering. People are going to get bullish again. Everyone's going to pile in and it's going to create this one last leg uh, of this just extremely long, ridiculous bull market. I think someone on Twitter that I follow, their, their handle is most ridiculous bull market ever, which is, is, is fair. Um, but the, but this bull market has been fueled by extremely low inflation, low GDP rates, low growth, and, um, you know, unprofitable, uh, high valuation companies. And if inflation comes down, I don't think, uh, that, that there's anything that's going to change about that. I think, and also another thing that kind of, was I was kind of pondering today after the market closed. You know, I've been looking back at the 1929 crash, the 1987 crash, the 2000 to 2002 crash, and the 2008 crash. And if if we are going to crash, this probably is most familiar, you know, most similar to the 2000 crash. But the problem is every one of those crashes usually started with a, a big down day, right? 1929 started with uh, Black Tuesday and then Black Thursday where we had 12% in a day down, uh, 11% in a day down. Um, COVID, when we had COVID, we would go down 10%, 9% in a day. We'd have limit downs in overnight futures. This market has really not had that kind of, of crazy mass sell-off um, panic. Everybody needs to get out. I mean, it's been a slow, uh, orderly decline down about 19%. And then today, you know, up about two and a half percent in the S&P. And so that kind of struck me. I was wondering, you know, um, will, will it be one of these, uh, these, these crashes like 2008, where it starts slow, it seems to go down almost every day, but slightly, and then all of a sudden it hits the precipice and just crashes to 25% in the last leg. Or, or is this really just going to be one of those slow, orderly corrections where people um, just revalue companies um, and then we go back on another bull run? I mean, some of these stocks, I had a, a chart up on my Twitter. Some of these stocks are down 70, 80, 90%. I mean, Roblox was down 80%. ARC uh, ETF was down 73%. Um, Coinbase was down 90 plus percent. I mean, all the excess really got wiped out in about three months. And yes, the S&P uh, was, hasn't reached that 20% bear market and the QQQ really was only down about 30%. But this, this, this under the surface, this was a lot worse than it looked like in the indices. And so there's another case, you know, there's a case to be made that the excess in these just horrific, non-profitable speculative companies got wiped out. The S&P, went down 20%. Um, inflation's going to come in and now we're going to rip again. I mean, there really is a, uh, uh, you know, there really is a, a thesis for that. And that, that really does have credibility as crazy as it sounds, as bearish as everyone is, as, as uh, people think the fed are not going to help them or not going to step in. The fed puts gone. If you really think about it, look at history, look at the last 10 years, look at the last 50 years. Um, I think if you had to place a bet, 
that bet would be that the market is going to go up from here. I mean, there's going to be, you know, little, you know, uh, bear traps, bull traps, but I, I, I'm surprisingly bullish. I really am. I think all the bad news has been baked in unless anything escalate, you know, of course there's always the caveat that if anything escalates with, with Russia, we end up in a serious you know, nuclear confrontation or we get sucked into a wall world war. Of course, all bets are off, but um, I think if things stay as they are right now, we have these three entities that are kind of pulling stocks down. And um, if any one of those get resolved, or especially if all three of them are get resolved, I think it's off to the races. So I'm surprisingly, I'm surprisingly bullish. And so um, take that with what, you know, take that with a grain of salt. I don't give financial advice, but I'm, uh, I'm bullish here. And I think, I think we're going to hit new highs. I really do. And so um, I could be completely off base. I'm sure a lot of people, there's a lot of pundits that predict that we're going to rally after a little, you know, 20% downturn. Um, it historically hasn't worked out well, but if I had to tell you my prediction, it would be that we're going to, we're going to rally hard here and we're going to hit new highs. So um, the last thing I want to talk to you about is, is the crypto market. Um, crypto market has just been absolutely obliterated. Um, there was a crypto called us uh, uh, Stella Luna. And it was supposed to be the stable coin um, that was tied to the U.S. dollar. You know, it, it, the whole thing was a Ponzi from the beginning. And I said this in my newsletter and I said this on my show that um, there's – and the reason I knew this is because Stella was giving out 20% yield for holding this stable coin. Now, how – interest rates were at 1%. 10-year yields were at 1%. How could Stella be giving out 20% and it not be complete BS, right? So my BS meter was already off the charts. Um, then, I, then I saw how they linked uh, Luna, how Luna was linked to the U.S. dollar, and it was through this algorithm that was supposed to match the U.S. dollar to this coin. Um, and basically what happened was uh, the shorts just punished it. It went in complete free fall. It un- the, something happened with the algorithm. It unhinged from... Uh, from the U.S. dollar, and it basically dropped 99.98%. Uh, the last time I checked, it was below a penny. I think maybe it may have rallied a little bit now, but I mean, this kind of excess, you know, uh, the 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 DDoCs, the um, uh, telehealth, the um, uh, teledocs, the uh, Zoom stocks, uh, Roblox, all these companies that just got destroyed, I mean, down 80, 90%. Along with all these crazy uh, crypto Ponzi's and things like that, I mean, even Bitcoin. Bitcoin's down fifty percent from its high. Um, so, I mean, people are saying that there hasn't been enough pain in equity markets yet. I mean, the crypto market it was just destroyed. I mean, billions and billions of dollars of wealth just evaporated into thin air um, when Luna went under. So, the crypto market is just—it's a market that. You know, really, it's just it's just highly speculative. Uh, everything that crypto enthusiasts said it would be, it turned out not to be. They said it, would, it was going to be an inflation hedge. Well, it clearly is, is not an inflation hedge if it's down 50 percent and inflation's up 8 percent. They said it was going to be this kind of um, uh, payment system that would escape uh, government eyes or government intervention. And, and the government wouldn't be able to seize your money like they can seize your bank account. Well, the Canadian protests showed us that that was not true. I mean, they were seizing crypto donations left and right. 
Um, they said it was going to be a store of value, clearly not a store of value that, you know, uh, Bitcoin, which is supposed to be the, the, the top crypto, the most stable crypto, the, basically the blue chips of crypto, um, down 50% in six months. So, um, crypto is one thing. Well, I, I actually, crypto is actually two things. Crypto is, is for speculation. If you speculate, if you want to speculate and, 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 and gamble, um, in the crypto markets and hope to get wealthy on it. That is one purpose that it serves. Uh, the other purpose that it serves is it allows you to store your wealth um, digitally away from a bank. And so um, if you need to flee the country or if you need to uh, do transact, you know, not actually, I was going to say do transactions that, you know, um, are illegal, but the government has been able to trace every one of these Bitcoin transactions um, they found all the stolen, you know, every all these uh, hacks that happened on these different accounts. Um, they were able to trace these guys right away. So really, the only two purposes it serves is for speculation to try and get wealthy in crypto. And the second purpose it serves is if, if you want to store your money digitally, um, like if you're in Ukraine and you wanted to escape um, in, into another country and you have your, you have your digital wallet memorized and you can just get online wherever you have internet access and, uh, and access it. I mean, you can really do that with a bank as well, but a lot of people who had their money in Ukrainian banks kind of went under. So if you're living in, in a situation where your banking system isn't stable, um, or you may need to flee to another country, then crypto could work for you. Uh, the problem is if you bought Bitcoin at 60,000 um, waiting to, you know, in case you needed to flee your country or flee Ukraine. And then by the time you got from Ukraine into Poland, you went to check your account, it could 50% of your wealth could have been evaporated. I mean, that's how fast uh, Bitcoin has fallen over the last week or two. So really crypto just has not yet shown um and there could be you know in the future there could be more uses for it um i don't know how it's going to work with the metaverse but crypto really just has not shown me yet um any kind of uh, uh validity or any kind of staying power any kind of reason why i would put any any amount you know any serious amount of my life savings or money into crypto i just it has not shown me that yet Everything that they claimed it was that I have not seen proof of. And so for me, I'm still skeptical on crypto. Um, I do like the idea of having money stored digitally and being able to send it anywhere in the world. The problem is it's just not stable, right? I wouldn't want to buy Bitcoin at 40000 in order to send it to my uncle who lives in Argentina, only to send it to him. And it's, by the time it gets to him, you know, or a week or two later, it's worth 10% less than what I sent it. You know, that's just, it can't, it can't work in that way until it stabilizes. And, um, a lot of Bitcoin pundits say it's has stabilized already. Um, blah, blah, blah. But obviously it hasn't. I mean, just look at the charts. I mean, the charts are just abysmal in the crypto space. I mean, every crypto, uh, Ethereum's down 60%, Bitcoin's 50%. Um, and then you had cryptos, like I said, Luna, who just completely blew up and are just down to zero. So, um, personally, I wouldn't, mess with crypto unless I was just going to speculate with small amounts of money. Um, that's just my opinion. But there are, I do see some use cases for blockchain and I do see some use case for crypto if they can figure out how to stabilize it and how to uh, hide it a little better. So, um, and the last thing I'm going to talk about is just kind of trading 
versus investing. And I'm going to do this really quickly. I know it's Friday. Everyone, you know, wants to forget about the markets for the week, enjoy time with their family. And that's what I'm about to go do. Um, but I wanted to put this podcast out here just to kind of throw out some of my, my ideas and things to think about for Monday. So the way I run my own portfolio is I have long-term investments on one side, and then I have uh, speculative plays on the other side. And the speculative plays, I often uh, play in options. I usually do weeklies or monthlies on the indexes, either SPY or QQQ. And those are my, like I said, speculative plays. Those are, those are my risky trades. I mean, I'll still put in you know, 10% stops and run trailing stops, and I'll still do my best to try and maximize profits and minimize losses. But that kind of portion of my portfolio is what I use, you know, for those high gains. If I see some sort of arbitrage opportunity in the market, meaning, um, you know, a chance really, or the market mispricing options, things like that, that's kind of the the 20% of my account that I use for speculative plays. Then the 80% of my account is long-term plays, right? If I think the market is really going to have a long, slow grind down, that's where I'll be shorting. If I think, you know, if I think the, the market's been uh, hammered really hard and is about to go on a run up, that's where I'll be accumulating stocks and, and index funds and ETFs over the long-term period. So a lot of people on Twitter get confused when I'll say stuff like, hey, I'm, I'm you know, buying puts today on QQQ. And then I'll get comments and people will say stuff like, what do you mean? You said you were bullish. And it's like, okay, yes, maybe I'm bullish for long term for you know, three months, six months, nine months, a year. But today I'm seeing a mispriced option and I think QQQ is going to come a little bit off the highs. So I'm going to buy a put option and try to capitalize on that gain. And so I, I just wanted to let people know, um, you know, I'm not, I'm not jumping back and forth of being bullish or bearish, I really just play the market that's in front of me. Um, and so what I've been doing is in my long-term account, which is all cash um, for the last six to eight months, because I, this was very obvious that this was going to come. So I had this you know portion of my account, which is all cash. Today in that long-term portion of my account, I started buying uh, S&P 500 index funds and some individual stocks. And so I'm not advising people to do that. I'm just telling you what I what I did today, um, and I did that with 10% of my of my account, meaning 10% of the uh, long term investment portion of my account. And so because I have 10%, you know, long in my long term part of my account, doesn't mean that on Monday if I think the stocks are going to fall, that I'm not going to buy put options. Oh, I totally will, but I'm not going to sell my long term holds because. Historically, if you buy the S&P 500 down 20%, if your time horizon is three to five years, which it's much more in my long-term account, I'm only 35 years old, um, I know that by the time I'm 40, 45, that I'm going to be in the green on that. So so I'm taking this as an opportunity to start accumulating um, some of the S&P 500 ETFs, some individual stocks that I've been watching for a while in my long-term account, but I'm still going to be checking the markets and trading um, in options, either bullish or bearish, uh, through puts or calls every day. And so even though I, I, my theory is that I think we are going to hit higher highs, uh, probably before the midterms, before the fall, um, that doesn't mean I'm not going to buy puts if I think that we're going to go down for the week or the day. So I just wanted to clear that out. I've had a lot of, 
you know, I would say hate on Twitter um, about that. And so I just want to be very, very clear about that. Um, and the last thing I'm just going to say is, you know, if you're a trader in this market, if you're an investor in this market, if you've been watching this market, this has been a very stressful week, whether or not you're a bull or a bear. Um, they've been, you know, when I say, and another, when I say they, I mean, you know, the big players, the, the people that move the markets, the algorithms, the hedge funds, et cetera, they've been moving this market bipolar. I mean, we've been having swings of three, 4%, 5% in a day up and down. And so, um, it's been a very, very stressful, stressful week, uh, to be a trader, to be an investor, um, you know, if you're a buy and hold investor you, and you're just kind of ignoring the noise, that's totally fine and that's okay. But if you're someone like me who does this uh, for their only source of income, does this for a living, it has been a very, very stressful week um, to try and figure out what the heck's going on and to try and capitalize on some of these moves. I mean, um, you know, my normal indicators are, are the VIX, the 10-year treasury yield and the dollar. Well, the market has moved uh, way differently with these indicators than it has over the past 10 years. And so seeing that is, ha is forcing me to adjust my trading style. Um, I normally like to hold options for at least two to three days. But I, in this market, I've been, you know, as soon as I'm profitable, uh, I set a profit goal. And as soon as I hit that, I sell and I'm out and I have to sit out and just watch because there is just no way to ride momentum in this market. The order flows are all wonky. The indicators are wonky. So if, if, if anyone out there is like, this is too much for me, too stressful, I would say, hey, go sit in cash, enjoy yourself, or put 90% of your account in cash, play with 10%, you know, whatever. But um, this market has been super, super stressful over the last uh, few weeks. So if you are in the green or if you're doing well, um, pat yourself on the back, uh, enjoy your weekend. Just don't think about the markets. Don't talk about the markets. Just enjoy time with family and friends, have a drink and, uh, we'll see you next week. Oh, oh. And one more thing I was going to talk about. So, you know, a lot of traders on Twitter, um, uh, people call them furus because basically they're fake, they're fake traders, right? Don't, don't kind of fall for these scams. So I figured these scams out. What they're doing, people are doing is they're buying put, put options and the same day they're buying call options uh, for low amounts, right? Say a hundred bucks in either direction and whichever one hits for the day, they take a screenshot of their gains and say, look, I made 60% today on these options. You need to sign up for my service and follow me. Or I made 127% on my options. You need to come sign up and follow me. And so, um, unless they are, uh, and also another thing they'll do is they'll post a bunch of predictions and then they'll delete the ones that, that don't come true. And the last thing, the last little trick that they do is they'll say, if we hit X price, we'll go to X, we'll go to, you know, Y price. And if we hit Z price, we'll go to T price, right? They'll say, for example, today on the spy, we, we kind of rolled between 398 and 401. And they'll say, if, if we hit 400, we'll go to 405. If we hit uh, 395, we'll go to 390. That isn't any kind of analysis. That's just throwing numbers out on a range of a top and a bottom line. That, that is, if anyone's paying for those, that kind of analysis, they need to get their money back because that is just, that's nonsense. I mean, anybody could say, if we go up, we'll hit this. If we go down, that's not helping anyone trade, right? So, um, because of this kind of fake traders on Twitter, um, 
myself and and one of my buddies we just, we've been kind of in talks where he has an app that he started and that I'm going to be getting on board with um, as the uh, uh, COO for. Um, I'm not going to say the name of the app yet because it's still in production. But what the app is going to do is going to actually track uh, traders and their success rates. And so your favorite trader, your favorite person that you follow on Twitter, if they're not on this app, they're probably full of crap, right? Because we've had in the last week, we've had 30 traders sign up to the app and already half of them have quit. And the reason they've quit is because they're losing a crap ton of money and it shows in the app because the app doesn't allow you to delete your trades. The app only show, shows your trades and then it ranks you how good and how successful your trades are. So if you, wanna, if you want to find a trader to follow, they better be on this app once we launch it because if they're not, they're probably scamming you and they're probably just going to be sending you stupid uh, information like if we hit this, then we'll go to this or if we lower to this, we'll go to this. So um, be on the lookout for that app. I'm going to talk more about it on my Twitter. Um, it's going to be really, really awesome. It's basically like a Twitter uh, or a stock twits, but just for traders. And if you're signed up as a verified trader, um, your app, your your performance is going to be tracked via the app and you will be ranked. So you'll, you'll as a as a trader, you'll get on and be able to see, okay, this person is, you know, the number one ranked trader on this, on this app. And therefore his advice is probably worth listening to over the advice of some random person on Twitter who never shows you how much they're actually trading only shows their, their P and L. Um, so this is going to be an exciting thing that's going to launch here in probably about two or three weeks. I'm really excited to be a part of it. Um, once uh, the founder, Kevin Blount, approached me and asked me to be on board, I was like, heck yeah, this is a great idea because all I do is see um, these fake uh, traders on Twitter and kind of, uh, you know, just frustrates me that people are paying them money and people are following them and following their trades. And there's really no actual way to verify if these people know what they're talking about or not, right? So, so if look for that. My Twitter handle is at retirement, right? I'll be putting out more information about that. Um, you know, it's going to be completely free to download and all that stuff. So, um, but it really is cool. Uh, Kevin uh, ran me through it, showed me kind of an introduction. And my job is going to be in charge of all the traders on the platform and in charge of making sure that, you know, there's no scammers, there's no furus, there's none of that stuff and, and trying to get the outreach for that app. And so um, follow me on Twitter at retirement, right? And I will, uh, you'll see much more information about that. But anyway, again, enjoy time with your family. I know it was a stressful week in markets. Um, have a great weekend um, and try to uh, try to relax a little bit. Um, I'll, we'll be back at it on Monday. Have a great weekend, everyone.